0: I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Yeah. Really excited about the trade deadline. I'm really excited about a that 13 hour day. Like us TV guys are used to three minute segments. We're not used to 13 hours. You know.
1: Is is that uh, was that one of the learning experiences for you how to how to talk about nothing for extended periods of time if you
0: have to? Well, I I've done that my whole career. If the truth was really known, you know, I made a living doing that. Ah, uh, that, that's that's. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Stuff. But you know what? It's funny. I, I remember as a general manager, sitting in the office uh, on trade deadline day, and and we would be watching the TV. Uh, my staff, you know, my key guys and my staff would be sitting there, and we'd be watching and following the T. You know, watching the the trade deadline show, and and sort of going off that. I mean, we knew what was we knew what was going on, but but we really sort of followed that whole show type of thing it's kind of bizarre to think about it with a really they did that deal and there's the rumor and that's the rumor and let's check that out so and now to be involved in it, you realize that every gm in the league uh, has the network on following it so it's kind of funny you know so w-
1: when you were a gm would you put a lot of stock in those rumors i mean were there media well, guys where you might give an indication oh i might do this just to see what the response
0: would be once it was out there you know you know what, we used to, you know, it depends, obviously, who's saying it, number one, okay, and and you always, going into the trade deadline as a GM, you always pretty well knew what every team was looking for, because you would probably, you'd probably talk to 20-plus GMs extensively heading into the deadline, so you pretty well, whether it was from your own uh, group in, inside your organization, analyzing what teams needed, or what, the GM actually told you they needed, or their assistant GM, you had a pretty good feel. So if somebody's on saying, hey, they're looking for, you know, they may be in the uh, the LAD thing, you, you knew they were in it. You knew they were pretty well in it because you knew that was a, a need that they had expressed to you or in conversation would tell you that's what they were looking for. So you could pretty well see through most of it, you know.
1: Right. Now, when, when you were a GM, and, of course, you were with uh, the Blue Jackets for, for several seasons, did did you enjoy the trade deadline?
0: <laughs> you know what? It, it it was really weird because it was it was twofold. Okay, there was deadlines where I tried to make a trade. You know, like for instance, I traded uh, Lyle Oline at the deadline. We had a we had a little problem, and I I realized I had to move Lyle and. I traded Lyle for for Spachik and a second round pick, and it was a real exciting deal to be involved with. They wanted the veteran uh, old line to come in and, and help them. We wanted Spachik, who was a younger and he was more of a puck mover, and I really wanted the second round pick. So those was that was an exciting deal to be involved in. I did a I did a deal with uh, on deadline day. We acquired Ray Whitney and a deal for Kevin Adams, and it was a vicious deal because my owner absolutely loved Kevin Adams because he played at Miami of Ohio, and he, 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 he actually started to hate me when I traded Kevin Adams. I mean, imagine I traded Kevin Adams, and I ended up getting Ray Whitney, who was an NHL All-Star and was a 70-point guy for umpteen years since. And I think Ray might have played eight more years after that deal. You know, I, I remember we, we had a, a a deadline where I had Jeff Sanderson. He was a really popular player on our team, and he was a great guy and a great. But he's he was he was starting to really slip, and and we traded him for Jason Chamara and Mike Rupp, and it ended up being a you know a great trade for us. And you know, but then there was other deals where you're sitting there and you're you're going into the deadline and your owner saying, hey, uh, you he he, he he phoned me the day before. I remember I'll never forget he phoned me. Two trade deadlines in a row, and he said, "I want you to move Daryl Sador. He is owed six million dollars, and I need him off the payroll." And I'm thinking, "Where are y- you're 78 years of age or 82 years of age? Where are you getting this information?" And I found out later who was given of the information was the guy that helped get me fired, who became the president after I left. But anyway, that's for another day. So <laughs> that's amazing. So I know I so I know I've got to move Daryl Sador, who. You know, we had acquired Daryl Sador for Mike Cylinder, and it was Daryl was a real solid player. So I end up making a making a deal to move him to Tampa, and and I remember calling Daryl to tell him about the trade, and he he basically was crying on the phone because he absolutely loved Columbus at the time. Family loved it there, and it was a really tough tough trade. But then he goes, and Daryl Sador wins the Stanley Cup, and it was the best thing that ever happened to his life. In his life, you know. So you know, deadline deals are a really really fun and i i think back to even when i was an assistant coach one of the most bizarre things that I'm, i was i was assistant coach in washington brian murray was the head coach and david Poyle was the gm and we had we were we were in montreal at the forum, and we're just getting ready to go on the ice and they say to me doug you go out and start practice uh, David and Brian and, and David were gonna, we were still working on a deal. So I go out on the ice at Montreal Forum. The old form had the the clock, right, the digital clock, right in the end zone. And we were doing a stretch, and Warren Staley our goalie coach starts slapping his stick on the ice. Hey boys, it's three o'clock. None of us are getting traded. And I skate over to Warren I said, Warren, shut up. That clock's wrong by seven minutes. There's still a deal we're working on. So then we start the, the skate around, the, you know, the warm-up skate, and I see Brian come to the bench and call me over, and he said, tell Mike Gardner and Larry Murphy to come off the ice. And I, and the boys are all watching me skate over to Mike Gardner, who was our superstar at the time, and Larry Murf, Murphy, who was a star, and watch me tell them to go over and, you know, go off the ice. And that was the day we made the Mike Gardner, Larry Murphy, for Dino Cicerelli, Bob trade which was one of David Poyle's biggest trades you know and there was no there was no shows in those days but it was still a really big big event you know the trade deadline and it always has been the shows have taken it to another level but they've always been real exciting days for hockey people you know yeah so, yeah that well those, it's, those it's,
1: are those are incredible stories Doug McLean joining now us. there's one there's
0: one other I got to tell you okay I was assistant <laughs> coach in St. Louis my first year in St. Louis and we we Ron Crom makes an unbelievable deal he trades Rob Ramage, and Rick Wamsley for Brett Hull, okay? Yeah. And we were getting carved. So I'm home, and I'm like a first-year assistant coach, 30 years of age, and Ron and Jock Martin call me and say, hey, uh, Mac, we need you to go on the radio tonight because we're both busy. And uh, we and so I go on the local radio, KMOX and St. Louis, and they are carving us and carving me. And I'm thinking... Those two buggers, they bailed on me. They threw me to the wolves to go on and take these vicious calls about the trade. But I mean imagine that trade. Calgary won the Stanley Cup, partially because of it, and Saint Louis got Brett Hall who went on to be one of the greatest scores. And Brett Hall was a twenty three year old who who came to Monk from Moncton to St. Louis in that trade that he had been playing in the American League. Isn't it it's an amazing deal when you think back on it, you know? Anyway, that's my story. the meta stories.
1: Yeah, those are Well, I re- I remember <laughs> when that Brett Hall, yeah, trade happened. I remember him playing in yeah. a couple playoff games for the Flames, yeah. I think the summer before he got yeah. before he got yeah. or a couple of years before he and got. And they hated he, him. Yeah, they, they hated right. him. Yeah, they didn't think he, he was wouldn't gonna,
0: back, He wouldn't back he wouldn't We got to get him out of town.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> right. Hey! Uh, before, before incredible stories. Before I let you go, Doug McLean joining us. Uh, of course, you'll get him on uh, Monday on Sportsnet's coverage as well. Um, the Edmonton Oilers are in an all-too-familiar spot in the standings. They are uh, nearing the end of their first season with a new general manager, who um, I don't think has any any loyalty to some of the players who have been here a long time. I, I mean, the the thing I've been saying all year, Doug, is he's going to make changes probably the major ones more likely to happen this summer there's probably some tweaking you know a ufa or two could go here before monday's deadline how do you look at the at shirelli situation
0: well i i think he's got to make some some major moves i mean to me uh, yakupov's not the guy right now because I, I think they've got to polish him up and prop him up and maybe you know start him next year with mcdavid and see where that goes and and is he then a guy you you move? I don't think you're going to get value for him right now, anywhere close to what you maybe get if you can if you can polish him up, you know, and and, and, and move him at a later date. Everly to me it, it is the guy that potentially goes somewhere. I think he could go and be a real good player somewhere. They're they're in such desperate need to get a defenseman, and and, and, and can you get that defenseman? They've tried five years in a row. To, to do it at, uh, on July 1st, and you go back to whether it's Ference or whether you go to Fane or whether you go to Nikitin or you go to Schultz or you go to even Sakara, there there you can't you can't fix it. All you do is end up with bad contracts and average players, and they've tried to do it that way. So and, and I and I, I get where they're coming from. It's not easy. You got to so now they're at a point. They got to make a trade and they got to draft to get those defensemen that they need. That's the only way they can do it. And it's going to be Nugent Hopkins and Eberly, maybe the two guys that I see being the guys. I happen to really like Nugent Hopkins. I think he's going to go somewhere and be good. And I think Eberly's a guy. If you ever if you ever got like a Boston with a Crychee or a Bergeron, he could be an unbelievable. And that's why they want him. That's why they've been coveting him, I think, for a little while. So, you know, those, those are the situations that they move. But then you say, okay, well, what defenseman has Boston given up that can come in and help? What guy there? Is uh, is Krug gonna be the guy they're gonna give up? No, because they can't afford to give him up. So these deals are not easy to make, and I, I see them more like you do, maybe draft type deals.
1: Yeah, well, that's gonna be uh, that'll be fun at the draft. The orders are probably gonna be picking much higher than than we all hope they they would be. Uh, once again, yeah. Doug, th- thanks so much for your time. That we'll have to do this again because those are incredible stories. And thanks for uh, fitting me in because I know you're pretty busy too. So thanks so much. Anytime.